You are Locked On Browns, your daily Cleveland Browns podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Good evening, everybody. Locked On Browns, episode 163. Guys, it's been a while, so look, you know, everybody loves Pete. Uh, the timeline has been fantastic this week. You've been following Everyone's thrilled with Pete's thought on Saquon Barkley. I'm sure there's a jersey and a whole bunch of Penn Staters going to have him out, you know, maybe for a barbecue, all that type of stuff over the summer, you know, beers, going to be all sorts of free food for Pete once he makes his way down to Happy Valley one day. <laughs> Pete, buddy, how you doing, buddy? What's going on? I'm good. I'm ready to get the Super Bowl preview started. Super Bowl preview? Yeah, that was the last time you were supposed to have me on. Oh, that's... And then you uh... Then you had the uh, that was the uh, the night of the, the, the birthday party. Yes, the sleepover. Yes, that was uh, we took some kids out for dinner for my daughter's birthday. Uh, I met my wife there. The next thing I know, that everyone that went into my wife's minivan showed up here. So that was fabulous. Yes, um, and it was you know uh, obviously everybody saw that timeline. Super Bowl for me it was just tough. It, you know, my daughter uh, as a micro preemie, uh, it was her tenth birthday. So it was just something when it got closer and closer to it, it was just better to just lay low, let her enjoy the weekend. And i got to be honest, guys, uh, it was really hard for me to talk up an Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl. But the best thing about it is it actually turned into a fantastic game, one of the better Super Bowls in recent memory. And uh, my 10-year-old Miracle Baby had herself a great weekend. So, you know, with that being said, Pete, uh, like there's not so much, you know, no substance really to any draft talk that's going on right now as much as it is maybe just digging deeper in a tape uh nothing's really changed as far as you know whether or not guy has committed a faux pas things of that nature but uh you know everybody's starting to dig a little deeper you know i know you are now you're starting to do some homework you know uh some people you know oh well players ages don't matter look it does matter somewhat you want to know you want to look in it you want to dig a little deeper you know some of these guys the mainstream guys it's it's been known it's been out there but once you start pushing things around you notice some things that you know, if you had a you know a hedge one way or the other, the fact that he was younger, you know, was going to help you prop him up. The fact that he's a little bit older than maybe you thought he was, maybe you know, gives you a little more comfort to maybe bop him down a spot or two. Uh, I noticed you've been doing some you know ri- uh, you know some risers, some fallers before we get here in the combine weekend. So give me a couple of guys either way, you know, that have uh, taken you over that way. Well, for the most part, it's it's. Uh... Guys going in the wrong direction, although there have been a few pleasant surprises. Obviously, Sonny Michelle is a popular topic. Uh, I'll just end and, the call right now, Pete. And, well, here's the thing: <laughs> it, it's just because it's it's the nature of the beast with like running back and receiver and some of these things is because there's so many guys you can pack in that are that are so closely categorized that like for the most for the average person the the likely have Barkley as the top guy, then, you know, Geis, and then it becomes sort of a free-for-all. And I know there's people that don't have Barkley as the top guy. I don't, for example, or have Geis in sort of the middle of the pack. But then it's just like this free-for-all, and you've got to find ways to sort of sort them out. And when you compare a guy like Darius Geis or Ronald Jones, who neither of which are going to turn 21 until, you know, in a couple months, like Ronald Jones won't be 21 until August, I believe. Uh, and you compare that to Sonny Michelle, who's who's going to be 23, um, and some of the other issues, like you get down deep down in the market share and all that stuff, which is just basically the amount of uh, individual impact the player has had over a career. Obviously, if you follow James Coburn, you, you see a lot of this talk, uh, and certainly I, I, I uh, 
I love James's work. I talk to him about this type of stuff. Fantastic uh, and it's deep. There's no way around it. So ultimately, you've got to find a way to decide what's important to you. And you know, if you believe in the idea that a physical play, a physical peak for a player is generally around the age of 27, you want to obviously get as many years as possible before that. So this is part of the reason Miles Garrett was such a slam dunk. The kid is 22. He's not the, the he's not going to turn 27 until the Browns have him in his second contract. That's just staggering to think about uh, from that standpoint. Whereas you've got a guy like uh, Desmond Harrison, uh, West Georgia tackle that had a lot of buzz for a little while. Uh, he's a big, physically imposing dude, but you, you know you dig into it, and he's been in college for like six years. Originally started in Texas, and he's 25 years old. Like you're supposed to be dominant. When you're playing against conceivably, you know, 20, 20 19 year old kids. So that's. And you failed five pot tests while you were down in Texas. Yes. There's a reason he's been to a lot of different schools, and it's not just because he got homesick or anything like that. Um, so he's a guy that, that I don't think much of. The guy I, the guy I think is getting uh, very little talk about who I think is going to go much, much higher uh, than, than people think is, uh, is Chuck's Okorafor. He's the youngest offensive tackle in the class out of Western Michigan. He's 6'5", 330, and I believe he's either 21 or he's not yet 21. You can't teach that type of body. Uh, and and you and certainly people are going to want to see how he tests and all this other stuff. He doesn't look like a bad athlete, bunny stretch, but it's very tough to teach that type of body. And you compare to that to a guy like Martinez Rankins, who I've never been a big fan of, just an example, who's you know the Mississippi State offensive tackle. Uh, who's 25 like or 24 and you're looking at it and you're saying to yourself what is you know a core for gonna be like in three years uh and if you believe that you know with with where he is and his his technique and everything that he's going to be a great player that's certainly more valuable i mean he's actually like a core for is younger than connor williams who a lot of people think is the top tackle in the draft like that type of guard process um one that has nothing to do with age, although he certainly fits in there, is Andrew Brown from Virginia. I loved him before uh, when I was going off his tape in Virginia, going off his production. But you know, when you you can sort of get lost in the fact that you know this is a five-star high school recruit, and then basically came in and and you know after the change to Bronco Mendenhall was asked to be a two-gap defensive end. Like he was a clogger, and he's got really long arms, and he would just sort of uh, bench press guys at the line of scrimmage uh, and wasn't really asked to be, make a lot of plays. And certainly he does uh, on tape. There, there's certainly plenty of that, but he's not like the flashy type guy that some of these other guys are more exciting, like a Taven Bryan from Florida. He's far more you know splashy in terms of what he does. But then he goes to – Brown goes down to the senior bowl. You find out he's 294 pounds. He looks fantastic, and then he gets put into that you know that week where he's a one gap three technique, and he's destroying people. I mean, he's just too quick. He's strong. He's doing all these things. Looks great in the pass rush. Just becomes a real problem. And and you go back and you sort of look at all these things, and I think he's going to test really really well. The stuff that really stood out to me on tape is how well, and Greg Williams should love this, is how well he drops under coverage. Uh, is just how athletic he looks and being able to sort of get out. And actually, be a factor from that standpoint, and then being asked to be sort of a stand-up uh, pass rusher off the edge, uh, and he looks like you know, an old, like Paul Kruger, like where he's just going to go and beat the guy 
up across from him and drive him into the into the quarterback. And and to me, with Andrew Brown uh, looking at it from the Browns' perspective, I think that guy's potentially going to be a stud. Uh, but he looks like he can also be the total package. Like there's not much he can't do. And I know there's some people who think he's top 50 and there's some people who don't think he's going to go till day three. And, 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 you know, I love him. If, if he's sitting around that 64, 65 area, you basically take him right where you took Oak and Joe, and you just add to that, that group. But yeah, I mean, everything comes down to ultimately what's important to you. And, and, and like, uh, where it's different from like the quarterback position, when you get into age and stuff, because like short of being old, uh, like 24 years old is when it gets worrying. I like having more experience, but with most any other position, um, the younger and, and obviously being productive, uh, and you know, shows you the chance to be a star, which is why DJ Moore is my top receiver. Unless he basically falls in his face at the combine. I think he's the best guy in the draft. He's not perfect, but my God, is he productive? And he had eight or nine different quarterbacks in Maryland. He had sort of that, Josh Gordon uh, with the Browns sort of upbringing of get just somebody's going to throw the ball near me. I'm going to dominate attitude. Uh, and I think whether it's with the Browns, which I'd love to see him there, obviously, but wherever I think he's going to be a stud that doesn't make him a number one receiver. Uh, but if he's a number two or, you know, whatever, he's going to be just a playmaker. Now, where are we at on DJ with age? He's 21. I mean, he's. I think he's the youngest in the class or close to that, whereas you have, like, Calvin Ridley. And this is not an unknown with Calvin Ridley. Everybody knew he was older. This, this, and, you know, like, and, and we were talking about this before we started the show. Someone, so many people try to hide things like this. Calvin Ridley, his age was never hidden when he signed with Alabama. Everyone knew it then. And it, 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 normally it could be a knock. I think with this class it's not going to be a knock because I don't think there's that much – of a threat up top. It's not a 14 class where it's Beckham, Evans, Sammy Watkins. They were all young, all, you know, started to break out at the right perfect age. I, I think it's going to have almost zero bearing on how you're going to grade Calvin Ridley. No, I agree. However, having said that, if I'm the Browns, I don't want Calvin Ridley. If I'm a team like uh, who's well, the thing sort with, of in the The thing with the in, Browns, though, is, I mean, if you're at one in four, and first off, wide receiver is—it's a need, and it's—it's. It's, we've talked about this a lot. It's a tough way to establish what kind of need it is, because it's a need as an insurance policy, essentially. And you know, Ridley may not fit that, but go ahead, Pete. Well, I was just—I would just say that let's—you know—people like to throw the idea of trading down, or you know, the what ifs. Somehow, this guy's on the board at whatever pick. You know, are you taking him? And, and when it comes to the Browns with Calvin Ridley. I'm not, and it's not because I don't think Calvin Ridley's a great player. I just don't think it makes a lot of sense for the Browns. And if you're if you're one of those crazy people who's out on Corey Coleman, I've got news for you. He's the same age, uh, and he's going to be entering his third year in the league. However, if you're a team like Dallas, if you're a team like Baltimore, if you're a team where you need somebody who's going to be good right this second, Calvin Ridley makes a ton of sense. You're the Browns. You're probably not thinking in that neighborhood. You're probably thinking more in terms of the year after uh, you know, 2019, 2020, you know, Calvin Ridley is probably going to be, he may never be a truly great receiver. He may not be an Amari Cooper type, but he's going to be probably just a really, really solid number two d- guy who can come in, probably catch 60 balls for you next year and help a team right this second. And those teams are probably far more 
uh, likely to want to grab somebody like him where the Browns can be sort of more patient with this, where they can take the guy like DJ Moore who may be, may be sort of a guy you have to create touches for a little bit early as he's sort of learning uh, as opposed to a guy who's ready to go right now. Yeah, and that's the thing because with Ridley, and, and this is even the thing though, even at his age, because you, you keep in mind the quarterbacks he's played with the last few years, there's still going to be some things Calvin Ridley is going to have to establish himself. Um, you know, Hertz last the last two seasons didn't help him as much as he was running great routes and getting open and not always getting the ball because of it. You know, he's going to have to understand, and this is also an Alabama thing. He's going to have to understand the increased volume of an NFL passing offense. You know, something of the Saints where hey. If this week calls for it, we'll throw the ball 50 times. You know, granted, New Orleans has changed a little bit over the last couple of years, but that is something he's going to have to deal with, and he's going to have to learn on the fly quickly at 23 years old. So it's interesting for him, and obviously, you know, the wide receiver, you know, look, I do understand the younger the better because, you know, people don't talk about it as much anymore, but it was always the year three of the wide receiver, and I think it applies more when you're talking about a class like this one as opposed when you had a, you know, an extreme class of number one wide receivers like 14 where these guys could all just hit the ground running. You know, I think that the third-year wide receiver, you know, breakout type of thing, if you want to use that, fits more to the group of guys you're talking about this year when you have outside guys who are very tall and excel what they can do and still need to show what they can do as far as shorter intermediate routes and where, you know, you have these slot guys that are going to learn how to, you know, Gonna have to learn how to get deep every now and then, as opposed to you know the five yard catch it and get another six. Right, I agree. I, I think as much I, I like this receiver class. I, it doesn't have the top end guy where you're going, oh my god, I got to plug this dude and he's going to be great. But the the idea that there's anything that resembles a bad wide receiver class anymore is pure fiction. There's always going to be guys. There's always going to be guys who are good. It's just a question of how and when they're going to be good. And I, I agree. I think this is going to be a, one where you probably going to be a little more patient. And I won't be surprised if some guys break out early and have people finger pointing or celebrating or whatever early. And then other guys sort of catch up. Uh, I mean, Nelson Aguilar is obviously a great example with the Eagles where, you know, it took him two years of not just – he didn't just struggle. He was to the point where – Similar to the Browns, people were talking about getting rid of him. Uh, and then he obviously had this year. They go to the Super Bowl and everything else. He's a huge factor in all that, uh, you know, off of off of Alshon Jeffrey, and he's just great for what they do. Uh, you've got to sort of have a plan and be patient with these guys. And, and obviously with John Dorsey and company, the assumption is uh, that, that they're going to be here for a minute and that they're going to have the ability to sort of really plan out what they're doing for the next few years. Yeah, and I, I mean, you look at, obviously, honestly, Aguilar, obviously they moved on from Jordan Matthews, and Jordan Matthews had, you know, put up solid production numbers, you know, so they had probably, you know, put a lot of faith into Aguilar. Obviously it was maybe something they learned, and maybe they started to see that the light was going on. And some of it was that, you know, Nelson Aguilar needed to grow up, and, you know, maybe, you know no more strip clubs on a Thursday afternoon. You know, which was something he had gotten into. You know, embrace the job that you have, the opportunity you have, and take it whole, you know, full head on. And then you know, and they found other ways than just receiving. You know, that you saw that they did with him, which really worked out for you know everybody there. But again, it, it, it kind of goes with when you do not have the established beasts, you got to understand. I mean, it's it's like creating a lawn, man. You got to plant the seed. You you know, it's got to water. It's got to be given time. 
to where you hopefully you're going to get to see you know the rewards. But of course, the guy's got to put in the work. A la, you know, you know, uh, you know, as opposed to a guy of you know the Doriel Green Beckham ilk. Uh, guys, anybody listening who you're listening through the megaphone app, I appreciate that. But go ahead, subscribe to Locked On Browns. Leave that five-star review on iTunes, whether it's Spotify, uh, pretty much everywhere, guys. Now that, you know, if you want to find the podcast, you can find it. So please go ahead and do so. Uh, you guys have been tremendous with the support. Cannot thank you enough. Pete, uh, we're going to move on in here. And uh, we actually got a lot of feedback brought you in here tonight. You know, it's, you know, when I'm having you on, I mean, because we talk so much. And guys, look, as much as we bust these other chops on the timeline, you guys should see the DMs. That's what's really good. But uh, we got a lot of feedback as far as, you know, some things that wanted to be brought up today. Uh, and, you know, one of our favorite guys, everybody's favorite guys, Jeff Risden. And, you know, Jeff is always, you know, basically the uh, purveyor of doom. And this is the one he threw out. What is the Browns' worst possible scenario for picks one and four? So let's entertain our good buddy Jeff Risden. Well, I, I don't think there's any way to avoid the idea that t- if you t- take Josh yeah, Allen with either yeah, pick. Well, I mean, exactly. But, I mean, it's the Browns, so I can understand why it's a decent question to ask. No, I mean, look, th- here's the <laughs> thing. We talk tough uh, for, you know, eight, nine months, whatever it is, leading up to the draft. When you get to the clock and the clock's ticking down, you're basically sitting there praying, just don't screw it up. Grab a and- bottle, everybody assume the fetal position, and pray for that we see the light of morning. Right, so you know, if they were to go Josh Allen, you know, that's it. But I mean, beyond that, to me, I'd have a hard time saying it's not Saquon Barkley in that. And I know, like, I, I it's not that I don't like Saquon Barkley. I think he's a fine running back. He's you know, he's going to end up being one of my top three running backs. It's going to be some some order of him, Geis, and Ronald Jones. It's just a question of when do you take these guys? And to me. Uh, as good as Saquon Barkley is, a lot of things. First, it sort of conflicts with what the Browns already have in Duke Johnson. Yes, I understand that that uh, Saquon Barkley might be you know super powered version of that, uh, but they need somebody to be an inside runner on this team. And and I think there's other guys and Geis and Ronald Jones are two examples that just do it more consistently than he does, where he wants to be an outside guy, which is fine, but probably doesn't make the most sense. And and if you're of the belief that, you know, whether it's one running back or two running backs in the first round, that means one of those three guys is going to be sitting there at 33. Uh, and obviously, I know there's people who like Sonny Michelle and are wrong. Uh, there are people who like, uh, you know, Royce Freeman, who I think very highly of. There's, there's, you know, there's a, a ton of back. Carryon Johnson, he's one I don't get, but I know there's a lot I, of people who love him. The thing with me with Carryon Johnson, when I watch Carryon Johnson play, and I got a lot of heat last year with Jamal Williams. His mom actually came. I, for I, I watch him, and it does not seem, and I, and I see guys saying great athlete, but I do not see him moving very quickly, very very early. It seems like it takes him a while to get where he's going. And look, he's got some good wiggle there. But when you're watching this on college tape, but this was my thing with Jamal Williams, I mean, you've got to get to that hole 100 million miles an hour because that's how quick it's going to close and I did have some people, well, Jamal Williams had a nice year in Green Bay. He averaged like 3.6 yards per carry. Don't tell me he had a nice season. He did receive the ball well and show some things of that genre. But he still averaged significantly less than 4 yards per carry. Getting to the hole, in, you better get to the hole way early you know, on college tape to show that you're going to be able to get to the hole on NFL tape. 
And I think that's a little bit my problem with Johnson. Well, here's, here's my thing. Like, I, I watch Johnson. I love his vision. I love his patience, especially when he runs sort of zone concepts. But even if you go through his highlights, there are a number of plays where his body, like, revolts. Like, he's like there's something just going – like, he'll break a big one and his hamstring or his hip, whatever. Something will go on him, and it's like his body doesn't want him to do these things. And obviously – Remember the Bama game. The right. Game, they won. He took that carry, and it looked like he got shot in the leg. And the next thing you know, it was oh, his shoulders hurt. Right, and that's not the only. That's not the only example. I mean, there's a there's just a bunch of it, and certainly he may have just been unhealthy. It's I mean, you know that that would be unfair to him, and certainly the medical is going to sort of uh, get to that conclusion. But it just worries me that like even when he's not touched, he ends up going down, and you're just sort of you know that 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 tends to be something that can be just a history in the making where you're just constantly frustrated. And I know a lot of people, even though he never actually misses games, get so annoyed at how Duke Johnson just seems to find a way to get sort of hobble off the field maybe once a game, even though he always comes back. But that, that to me is what it, I think you're going to get a little bit of that with on Johnson. Okay, one more. Uh, this is actually Paul Myers. He's uh, definitely a big, big contributor to the Lockdown Browns account. You know, lots of feedback from him. Why is Minka so overrated and reasons the team should pass on him? There's a smiley face, though, here, Pete. So if you're against Minka Fitzpatrick, it's going to come down to value of the position and where do you put him. If if there are a lot of people who hate the idea of putting Micah Fitzpatrick at free safety, and they argue that he's not really played free safety, which first, isn't true. He's played free safety. And two, his head coach says that's the position he should play in the NFL. And, you know, Nick Saban, there's a lot of things not to like about Nick Saban. He's generally pretty good on his own players. Uh, he, he wasn't Foster. wrong. Yeah, he wasn't wrong on Reuben Foster who's currently, you know, got some very scary things going on in his personal life. Uh, and there are real questions as to whether he's ever going to play for the 49ers again. Uh, and he raves about Mick Fitzpatrick, but, you know, he says he's a free safety. Now, if you want to say, well, free safety is not something that I value it for, or, and I can listen to this, the angel position is a reason not to take Mick Fitzpatrick at four. I'm with you. I understand. However... Fair. I think the Angel position's dead in next year. Now, if it's not, Greg Williams will be. But I think it, so much of it is, a, is, is caused by two things. First, Jabril Peppers wasn't, wasn't a free safety. He's basically dumped in the pool and asked to swim his way out without knowing how. Uh, and by playing that far back, he had a, he had a one-way go. Never asked to go backward. He was asked to play forward. It's substantially easier, obviously. The other part is he didn't trust his corners. And at the end of the season, he, he basically said as much. But they played the most conservative coverages all year, and people will point to Jason McCord. He was great. I agree he was. Uh, Jamar Taylor was fine. Okay, but there was there was never a level of faith. It was always playing not to get beat. Uh, and I think if Greg Williams, and I think they will, whether it's Trumaine Johnson or drafting a guy like Carlton Davis, who I think you know he would love, uh, you know Tavares McFadden. You and I have gone back and forth. And I think is another guy Greg Williams could really like. He's going to want uh, big. He's going to want length. He's going to want somebody that's not afraid to get physical within the first five yards. And, MJ, and that brings up MJ Stewart out of North Carolina, and not as tall as other other guy, but he might be the meanest corner in the class. He's just a junkyard dog out of North Carolina. 
But I, I genuinely believe if between having somebody he trusts at free safety, I don't think when Kai Nakua was in there at the end of the season, they had him playing that that deep. But if uh, combine that, also going more bend, bend not break, where the corners were nine yards off the line of scrimmage anyway. Right. So, but I think if they had, he's going to play cover three. That's kind of what he does. But I think he will play more cover one. Uh, and if he has guys he trusts, I think the whole defense will play more into the box. So you're not playing with ten. You've got the full eleven on the field. And in that scenario, Mika Fitzpatrick is obviously a more traditional free safety. The, uh, you know. I, I can certainly understand where people are sort of, you know, queasy with the idea that they don't think he has a real position. No, he's got six. Uh, and that's how smart he is and how bright he is. Uh, and the last reason you don't want Mixon Fitzpatrick is because you don't like winning. I mean, he's just great uh, from a human being standpoint. And I've, 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 we've talked about this before, but I, I genuinely believe it, whether it's Joe Thomas or now Miles Garrett. They're not just special players; they are special people. And Minka Fitzpatrick is that type of guy, and that's saying a lot because he, you know, he's from New Jersey, and you have that kind of hardship growing up, being from that kind of loser state, and being as great as he is, <laughs> that he can be this great. And and I'm still waiting. If if it becomes Minka Fitzpatrick and Jabril Peppers, I don't know if it's going to be the Jersey Turnpike or something back there, where you got two Jersey kids playing safety. And I I just would love the idea. But to me, Malcolm he, he, Minka Fitzpatrick is Malcolm Jenkins, uh, and I, he may be, end up being better. He may be similar. Malcolm Jenkins has made two Pro Bowls, uh, and, and maybe people will say, I wouldn't want that with the fourth pick in the draft. But what he did, and you look at the Super Bowl, is just how much they can do with him. He's an impact player, and that's what Minka Fitzpatrick did at Alabama. There's no reason to say he couldn't do that. And the idea that... They have Derek Kindred and they had Drew Burrow Pepper. So if they have like a, a situation where they, they go against the Le'Veon Bell or something or, or and he, he split out or or whatever, they have some matchup and they decide, Minka, we're going to put you on him. They have credible safeties they can put back there that they aren't going to be suddenly making a giant hole in their defense. I just think there's so much, whether it's Greg Williams or someone else, where the right defensive coordinator can make this special player just blow up in the NFL and and for a team that had I believe six interceptions all season that changes with a guy like Fitzpatrick it certainly does and you know as far as that you know terrible state of New Jersey which is going to have most likely the number one overall offensive prospect in this draft and the number one overall defensive prospect in this class so that's kind of interesting about that state of New Jersey just you know that's I didn't realize Baker Mayfield was from New Jersey. I'll have to amend that. Um, I'm sorry. I think it was the guy who was carrying the all-pro guard. Oh, Quentin yeah. Nelson. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, he is good. Another yeah. one. Went to a fine, Look, went to I a, think went to a fine Catholic high school that may have produced somebody that you know hosts a show on the Locked On Network. I think I, I think this just goes to show that you got to take an extra look at those New Jersey prospects because that's just one more hardship they overcame to greatness. <laughs> you know, you've got grit and toughness. Because they had to get out of that state. Yeah. And you notice they didn't stay in that state. They got the hell out of the state. Well, I mean, I can't blame them. I mean, there's only one school here, for God's sakes, and nobody's going to that one. They don't Even, call it New Jersey State, do they? Um, no. They, uh, come on, dude. If you saw the <laughs> Raritan, if you saw the banks of the Raritan, Pete. Yeah, no, it's it, it's not a sell. It was never a sell. We used to actually go to games on Saturday nights where like 6 o'clock starts. We'd go hang out for the first half, just watch the game. And then kind of just 
see where everybody was going after that, and everybody would go hang out. It was a good time. Nobody was ever at a second half game. And this is in the days when they were in the uh, when uh, Miami was in the Big East. So it was like, all right, let's go watch Miami drop 42 in the first half, and then, you know, hey, we'll go check out the parties afterwards. But uh, no, but no joking. Quentin Nelson, Mika Fitzpatrick, obviously, we're all damn proud of you in here in New Jersey. The, but uh, the parochial school set in New Jersey, it, it's become pretty ridiculous. Uh, it's just sad that it's a feeder. It's nasty. For, it's just sad that it's a big feeder for every other Big Ten school other than Rutgers. Yeah, maybe some way they can find a way to pinpoint some of these guys here. Uh, Pete, you brought up Carlton Davis, uh, but uh, one, one of the other guys who's big on here. Um, Carlton is a guy that you keep putting here, and we obviously we just talked with him a little bit. But I, are there more guys that are going to fit the Greg Williams? You know, obviously we meant McFadden as well. It, it, I think the cornerback class, you have your smaller guys who can run, and you do have your bigger physical guys. One guy I don't hear you talk about, so I'll add to this question, is my guy, Jairi Alexander, out of Louisville. Um, part, you know, it, it did not help him that he got hurt this year. It just didn't. Like, it I was just... I know what, though, but I will say this, though. The way the Louisville season went, I'm not sure if it would have helped him as much either because, I mean, you know, it, everything kind of went downhill for the team. And they just kind of basically were taking it on the chin at times. Yeah, they still made it to a bowl game. But, you know, I, I think the as the other talent and the other kids around them in their class rose, you saw who, and I know you used to love this term, is you saw who the two dudes were of that recruiting class. Yeah. Well, there's the thing. I just think there was a time, just from a momentum standpoint, I think going into the season there were a lot of people. Going into the season it, there were two dudes at corner. Tarveris McFadden, uh, who you and I agree, the tape is no different from last year to this year. If you loved him last year, you should love him now. Uh, and then Jair Alexander. Those seem to be the top two corner prospects. And obviously when you're a year out, you know, a lot can change. But then he got hurt, and it, it's almost like he fell out of the, fell off the fell off the earth a little bit. Because uh, even when he came back, it, it wasn't really talked about. Uh, that he was back at Louisville. It was Lamar Jackson and guys. So I think that sort of hurt him. But look, there nobody play or n- nobody will be uh, has more attitude than Jair Alexander. That's maybe maybe have what, as much. That's but nobody's got more. That's what I love watching cornerbacks play. And even the guy who can turn around after he gave up a twenty-five yarder and still run his mouth, like that's a guy I want to go to war with because it's like like I like I almost don't get it. But it's like, all right, dude, just whoever you are, you better stay who you are. You know, I don't want to see you turn around with tears in your eyes because you got beat once. You better turn around talking the same shit that you talk when you break up a play when a guy catches one on you. And and I know there are people who hate that stuff. You know who loves that stuff? Teammates. Absolutely. Like, like, if, like you obviously you played at Monmouth, uh, for example. Uh, yep. You know, but, but like... People like criticize. Like one of the worst criticisms from last year was like the Browns would be losing by like 14 points or whatever, 21 points or God only knows what, and a defensive player would make a play and get excited, and people would be like, "What are you doing? You guys are losing by this much." Defense sucks, and the idea that your life is to get your life is getting scored on. That's what your life is. It's a it's an it's existence of sort of slowly losing. Uh, so when you get to make plays, you're damn right you get excited about it, and it's infectious. Like it's such an attitude side of the ball. Offense is such an you know such a, a, a rewarding situation that you move the ball, you get to play more. 
you score points, you know, all that good stuff. Defense, the most exciting thing you can do is get off the off the field in one play. Like that, it's not an easy existence. So people don't sort of understand that. Uh, it's not like any of the, these other sports where, like basketball, if you you know you steal the ball, you get to play on offense. So I love guys who have attitude. Yeah, are there times it goes too far? Obviously, Baker Mayfield grabbing his crotch and all that stuff. Sure, but with guys like Jerry Alexander. I love guys who are comp for their abilities. I love guys who sort of have that energy, guys who get other guys excited because especially when it's a, a late in the game, you need a play, that guy keeps you motivated or, you know, you're losing, you need something to change the tide, and a Jair Alexander breaks up a play, comes up excited, gets everybody excited. That stuff matters. Uh, I love that type of stuff. And, and you know, he's short. There, there's no getting around it, but he's also a tough kid. Uh, so yeah, I'm with you. I like the, uh, like what I've seen with him. My question when it comes to Greg Williams is all all I've seen from him is he likes to play sides. Um, and if the Browns were inclined to play more matchup, where let's say let's say for example they signed Tremaine Johnson, I think they're going to go hard after him. They may have a shot. If they were inclined to say Tremaine Johnson is going to follow around, you know, Antonio Brown, AJ Green, whatever. Or, or even if you, let's say he follows around AJ Green, but then you, you you're sitting there looking at Antonio Brown, you're going, I don't like Tremaine Johnson against this matchup, and you're drafting specifically to sort of counterbalance, give you sort of that the one thing I like from Lombardi, uh, Mike Lombardi, is that he talks about sort of the, the basketball team secondary and having a bunch of different body types can do a bunch of different things. So if you're saying I've got this giant guy in Tremaine Johnson. I want a smaller guy who can sort of run with guys uh, in, a, in a Jair Alexander who can match up maybe better with Antonio Brown. Then I'm totally with you. But from what I've seen, Greg Williams seems more inclined to go sides. And in that scenario, I think he's more inclined to stay with the taller, longer, tougher guys. No, but uh, cookie, the cookie cutter types, exactly. He has, well, a, I mean, type. He has a type. Right. I mean, I mean but I mean, even even – you know, he, he may not be pounding the table for a guy like Denzel Ward either. Uh, no, that's I. You know, and every in everybody. Oh well, the Browns will never draft Ohio State guys. Well, guys, maybe it just doesn't fit. You know, there's you know, people just assume you're going to go. You know, pick from you know, are the, are the Giants and the Jets. I mean, so many guys are from New Jersey. Are they going to draft them all? No, just because the guy is local to you does not necessarily mean he's a fit. And if Denzel Ward is five foot nine. No, he's not a Greg Williams cornerback fit by any means whatsoever. Right, and and thank God Carlton Davis was at least committed to Ohio State for a minute, so we've got that going for us. But well, yeah, I, so I, I wouldn't be surprised if you see him go big, bigger corners on the outside and sort of create just sort of a hell inside uh, with linebackers and safeties who are really fast and can make plays on the ball. That's sort of what I'm sort of. A, sort of expecting with Greg Williams, and B, sort of excited about that they've got the potential to have so many athletes. There's just one more reason I like the idea of having, you know, the Jersey Turnpike back there at safety and having all these guys is if they can force inside to help, now you've got all these guys that can cut, you know, undercut passes or whatever and cause turnovers. All right, now pass rusher, Pete. Uh, look, more needs to be done. And actually I had Josh on from uh, PFF last night. And he, you know, he wasn't 100% sold, but he did agree it's hard to equate Emmanuel Agba and Miles Garrett, what they could be together, because essentially we never saw it, which, which is very true. 
But and but the good thing is between the two of them, you can set up, you know, and everybody loves the NASCAR type of thing for a nickel D line. Um, so you know, where where are you currently? You know, you need that just outside guy who can go to either side and is just going to be able to, with his speed, create an issue. So whether or not he gets home, it's going to make things easier for the other three guys. Uh, you know, and, uh, obviously a lot. Uh, everybody wants to bring up uh, Okoronkwu. But it varies there. You know, I, there's some guys I talk with, the PFF guys have him as a top 25 guy. There's other guys you talk to where he may fall down to mid to late second round. So, you know, give me a couple guys there. And I know you saw some guys in mobile you were high on there, too. So let's start with Okoronkwo. I don't think he's going to be in the conversation for the Browns. It's not because he's not good. I think he's really good. Um, I think it's because he's going to be early. He's going to go fast. Uh, and, and I don't think that's going to be terribly likely that they'd go past Richter that early. But you know, you know, you never know with that type of thing. What, what, but I, but, but, but I like that from a concept standpoint, in that you get sort of that pure pass rusher standpoint. Let's be honest, Obanya Okoronkwo is not coming in to be you know a run player. It's not that he can't do it. It's just you got this guy to go get the quarterback, which is uh, fine because we don't need him to do that. Right. So if you are along that, that thought process, Ola Adeni from Toledo is the where I would be looking. Uh, Nigerian pass rusher, I always love that. Uh, really productive. Only played you know two years of real playing for 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 Toledo, and people are gonna rightfully fret about Matt competition and all that. But he's just super fast, uh, relentless motor player who is just throws his body around and does stuff. But he's probably going to be in that 6'2", 255, 250 range. And he's just a guy where if you want to put uh, Garrett on the inside and let him fly off the edge, he's interesting. Uh, Duke Ejiofor, also Nigerian, is interesting uh, because of the fact that he had to have labrum surgery. It's going to have not, no test numbers on him. Yep, and that's going to be interesting. Right, which, which is an interesting thing because a lot of guys wait and will test and then get the labrum surgery – where Ejiofor went surgery as soon as possible because I want to be back in as soon as possible and help help his team. Uh, I don't know if it's terribly realistic, but he's shooting to be back for training camp, which would be obviously uh, significantly different different than if he had the surgery uh, after you know basically in May. Uh, and then but he's but looking. The thing at is, it. though, is you also look at it as a vice versus to win who went to the Senior Bowl. When he probably didn't need to after the playoff run, gave scouts one more look, and then said, "All right, yeah, now I'm going to go get the knife." Whereas Edgefor, you know, then you know, well, what happened between now and then? You could have gotten the knife. I mean, it's, I mean, you right. can understand. I, I mean, there's definitely, you know, you're going to raise an eyebrow to it for some reason. I can understand that. Right. So you're not going to get testing numbers on him, which is always frustrating. However, because of the way this edge class is. You know, outside of Bradley Chubb, it's a lot of projections, a lot of hoping guys are there. But Romance because State, by the way, guys, uh, there are <laughs> a lot of a lot of a lot of teams that may pass on a guy like Edgefor because they don't want to wait. Uh, now I know Josh Norris, for example, is a guy who thinks he's a first-round player. Actually, Josh uh, uh, Josh Liskovitz last night mentioned him as a first-round talent as well. Right, so that again, and that may be ha- may happen. He to me, he's a more reasonable 
uh, priced version of Emmanuel Ogba. I think he has a lot of that same game with him, but he's 23 years old. Uh, so he doesn't have, he's probably not, and he may not have been quite as athletic, but there's a lot to like there. And, and that's sort of what drew me to him is, is, as I do think he's sort of, a that Ogba type where you can add that type of guy, the, the Browns operating in such a position of strength that they can take a guy like him, sort of wait on him while they've got all these other players. Um, so yeah. And, and the guy who didn't get an invite to the combine who I love, uh, and I, I, I can't wait to see how he tests at Central Michigan Pro Day, is Joe uh, Osman. Uh, look, if you watch him on tape, all he does is get to the quarterback and make plays. Uh, and if you're one of those people who's hanging on to uh, the bowl game as a reason to love Josh Allen, jo- Joe Osman was the best player in that game. He's just productive. He's not as big. Uh, he's probably not going to be super quick. All he does is get there. He was great at the Shrine game. He was pretty much unblockable from that standpoint. And if he's a guy sitting on there in J3 and you're just saying go get the quarterback, Joe Osman might not be the sexy guy, but he's a guy who can probably get in there and get you a few sags. And, it, you know, he's a popular name, and obviously it hurts him as well that he's not getting to the combine because, you know, but maybe they kind of know what the testing numbers are. So, you know, they always go with other guys. I mean, you eliminate a six foot nine offensive lineman from Washington State. You know, Puna Ford is a guy at five foot eleven, doesn't get his you know, it just seems weird. I mean, you know, the combine look, nobody's gonna turn their eyes away. So if there were two to three guys more at each position, I don't think anybody's gonna care. And you wanna know what we get to it and everybody goes through it, and how many guys do we find out when we're ready to start taking out the guns or getting I mean the you know, the stopwatches and stuff and Three, four guys. Oh, well, I'm not running today. So I mean, you know, they can, it's not going to hurt to add three, four guys more to each position. Nobody's going to stop watching. If they did a better job with it, and maybe less of you know Mike Mayak talking about bubble butts, you could easily cover three, four more guys working out. So you know, that's something maybe the NFL should consider. Because look, everybody loves the combine. Nobody's going to get upset if a few more guys work out anyway. I mean, you have. What is there, 20 quarterbacks this year? So, I mean, it's a little crazy that way. So, look, just make it a little deeper. I mean, 326, is it a difference between 326 and 350? There really isn't, no. It wouldn't be such a bad thing if they didn't sort of, if they aren't starting to get rid of the uh, regional combines. That's sort of the way that these guys could sort of um, get sort of a you know, a universally accepted number without, you know, being sort of the main event. Like Jatavis Brown's a guy who uh, a couple years ago was a fifth round pick out of Akron. He was a regional combine guy uh, and, and ran, you know, incredible numbers and all that stuff. But the NFL seems to be slowly eliminating those, which uh, I, I guess I can kind of understand the fact that so much is so much more is known in terms of the internet and everything, getting to more of these colleges, but at the same time, this is just sort of an easy way to get just more data and eliminating some of the, you know, the 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 idea of, you know, the Virginia Tech thirty-seven yard track or whatever it is <laughs> that you've got, you know, you've got just sort of these numbers are universally accepted uh, and an easy way to get get things done, and and you know, it's not like these, you know, if if, if, if players will go, I mean, that's that's sort of thing, and and. You know, information is good. So that that sort of 
is frustrating from that standpoint. I wish they'd sort of keep those and, and most average fan and probably because of that, the, you know, the average fan doesn't even know that's a thing, but it's, it's starting to die a little bit, get getting rid of them. Uh, and I, and I think that that hurts guys like that. Well, I mean, you know, Jamal Adams, I think he was four, five, five at the combine last year or four, five, three, but you know, it was pro day. He was in the, uh, you know, high four threes. So, you know, I mean, so much of it is it is what it is, and it's not a knock on Jamal Adams, fantastic player, but no one's ever going to believe he ran a four three seven. That is pro day, uh, ladies and gentlemen. Locked on Browns, uh, guys. Uh, pitchers and catchers reported. Uh, it's a good thing. It is a nice break. This is one thing that baseball coming back makes this get faster to the NFL draft. Having some day to day thing. Look, guys, if you all love the NBA, that's fantastic. Love that as a kid. It ain't for me no more. Locked on MLB. Locked on Major League Baseball. It is here. It is launched. Almost every team is up and running. Guys, go ahead. Whatever your team is, go ahead. Check them out. Look them out for, look out for it. All you Browns fans, obviously, Indians are up and running. Go ahead. Check out Locked On Indians. Pete, this was actually a good tweet that was brought up today by uh, Kyle Krabs from NDT Scouting. And it's always a fun one this time of year. Uh, and here we go. Uh, draft season is still young. What are the best and worst takes that you've seen so far this draft season? Well, I mean, anything worst involves Josh Allen's name on it with the Browns next to it. But uh, uh, I, I, I don't know. I, I get the, I, well, here's the one that frustrated me the most, and thankfully it's died out. As early in the process, people were saying this draft class sucked. The draft class didn't exist yet, and people were saying this draft class wasn't any good. You were patient with it for a minute. You realized that maybe it didn't have the – you know the elite left tackle, or or you know the the obvious receiver uh, prospect, but god damn, there's a lot of good players in this draft class. And, to and go. But the other thing is, it's a good quarterback class. Yes. So that like first thing, it's a good quarterback, and God knows when you see what's trotted out there, weeks 14, 15, 16, 17, the NFL freaking needs quarterbacks, and there is a lot of guys who can spin the pill. Right, and and you know. The, there's there's arguments to be made about developmental leagues and all that to help with the whole quarterback thing, but yeah, the, the league needs a huge infusion of quarterback talent. And look, I don't like I don't want the Browns to draft guys like Mason Rudolph. I don't want guys to, the Browns to draft guys like Kyle Laletta. I don't want the Browns to draft guys like uh, the kid from Western Kentucky. Mike White. But the league desperately needs those guys in there for that exact reason. So you're not trotting out. You know some of the quarterbacks you're seeing at the end of the year, uh, you know, and and you know, God knows the league needs Colin Kaepernick back in it. But when you're seeing people talk about how, you know, the NFL should bring Johnny Johnny Manziel back, that's that's a cry for help at the quarterback position. You need more guys. This class has a lot of them. Uh, whether or not they're all going to be great doesn't matter. But they need more guys that can stick on the league, stick on rosters. Fill out depth chart because you're you know you're talking about a league that has at no no less than 64 quarterbacks in it uh, at any given time and it's obviously a few more than that but yes that that particular uh, take was one that just drew dra- drove me up the wall because there it's very hard to get a, ver- a bad draft class 2013 was a really really an- anomaly situation and people initially people were saying this was worse than that which is just insane so yeah i i suppose the the best stuff 
is just the the fact that that information is becoming more readily available. I think um, as much as there's pe- money to be made and people to make it, and I get it, uh, I think there has been a better job this year in previous years, and I think it's only going to get better in terms of there's more than enough appetite for everybody that you know it doesn't need to be sort of a dog eat dog world in terms of just information, uh, and 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 I like that more accessibility as far as tape goes. I love the fact that players are their own advocates in a lot of this stuff, and a lot of these players are putting up their own stuff, which helps. Uh, even if it's a highlight tape, like say what you want. If a guy's actually putting in the effort, even if it's somebody else making it for him, it at least says something. At least says something that he's, you know, he's putting himself out there. Got, you know, and this is, these are kids. A lot of them that are coming from a generation where, you know, you're you're just desperately tweeting out huddle highlight tapes from high school, trying to get looks. Uh, so th- there's a little bit of that uh, going into the NFL. So that that type of stuff uh, is good. I, I the other thing I, I like, and and you know, you can say this is also bad, but I love the fact that. There is so much disagreement on where this class is going to go in terms of, you know, quarterback. Obviously, uh, who's the top guy? Who's who's good? Who's not good? But even running back, receiver. I mean, there are very few positions that are settled as far as the guy. Like it's Bradley Chubb, Quentin Nelson, and then that you know, like every other position. Minka Fitzpatrick, whatever you want to put him as. Even still, though, because right now Derwin James. I mean, everybody is. You know, riding high in the German James bandwagon, so I mean, even still, like it seems like Minka's getting a, you know, getting a contender, so to speak. Right. So I love the fact that this is a draft class where, you know, there is no chalk in this draft class. Like this, not a not a draft class where you can go down to the third or fourth pick and be like, and and obviously there's time for this to sort of happen. I don't think it will though, where you can basically go, you know. Bam, 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 and you're talking about well, what's the f- sixth pick going to do? Because that's when the draft really starts. This one, uh, even if you know for whatever reason the, the, the first pick were to leak out early, a- after that it's going to be a freaking wild west type of where guys are going, and that's not just the top picks. I mean, you get to the top 50 guys, you can you can have lists that are 25 guys different from from the guy next to you in terms of who you feel is worth it. And from that standpoint, it's a lot of fun, uh, especially with the number of different ways people are sort of evaluating prospect, whether you subscribe to data, whether you purely go off traits, what type of data you use, and whatever evaluations will you use. There's a lot that, that that's going to make this draft class fun, and, and certainly there are some you know, grown-worthy uh, opinions and everything else, but for the most part, you're not going to be insane for for saying very much this year. Well, I think the best part is is the fact that you have three quarterbacks, and this may very well go on till round one of the NFL draft. Is you have three quarterbacks that you can make the case that any given year, any one of them should be the number one player in the draft, or should be the number one overall pick because they are quarterbacks that bring enough and have shown enough that they deserve to be there. You know, obviously, you know, Sam Darnold, we all agree, as of right now, today, would be the number one pick for Cleveland. But you don't agree with it with Baker Mayfield. I, personally, if I'm making the selection, would be a Josh Rosen. That makes for a great draft because you want good talk and be able, you know, good things to focus on and focal points and stories to go around. 
until we finally do reach that Thursday night. I think the worst part, and this, I, I will not get off of this one, is Lamar Jackson as a wide receiver. Uh, <laughs> I'm, I'm glad it's buried. I'm glad it's dead. Um, because A number one, there's a lot of almost racism to it, which drives me the freaking same. But if anybody watched him as a pure freshman to what he did as a junior, and, and look, yes, he did make some mistakes sometimes in big games, but a part of it also comes down to is I'm the only freaking guy I think that can win this game. So not only do I have to play like the Heisman Trophy winner that I was as a quarterback, or the guy who threw for 3,000-plus yards every season, who ran for all these yards that I did, I've got to try to take my game up to yet another level to try and win this game. So that, by far, will be the worst take. And I don't care what comes out between now and April. That will have been the worst take. Oh, no question. And, and, and there's a very real path where... Lamar Jackson becomes the best player in the entire draft class. And it won't be because he's a running back or a receiver or anything else. It'll be because he's a dynamic quarterback threat that, that was properly developed and went to the right coach and the right team that sort of sees him for what he can be as opposed to maybe what he is right this second. Well, the only issue is there for Lamar Jackson is is that maybe there's five to six front offices or coaching staffs in the NFL that are willing to break away from the norm and are willing to embrace the newness, embrace something different to get everything that you can out of him. So, you know, obviously Lamar Jackson, look, I mean, I will root for him no matter what. I pray to God he doesn't end up in the AFC North or the AFC East so I can just kind of sit back and watch from afar. You know, like Deshaun Watson, you know, some people think when I said take into account the radar gun, I said, well, that's fine. Let's disregard that and put him in a spot where it's not going to matter. And the seven weeks or eight weeks, away, I guess it was seven weeks we had of Deshaun Watson last year, my God, that was some exciting stuff. I, that Seattle game was probably still the best football game I watched the entire 2017 season. And at the end of the day, we're all fans. We just want good damn football. Right, although I would say don't, don't bury the gun yet because as much as he was great, and he was – uh, the interception percentage he had also makes you wonder if that velocity wasn't a real thing as much as he's also a great quarterback. And I'll be curious to see. Uh, obviously, he's got the knee, and that will affect it. But knee, how knees, does – Knees, plural. Yes. How, how is that going to impact uh, him as a player? But how are NFL teams going to adjust to him now with tape and everything else? That if he does have sort of you know the what is increasingly a traditional sophomore slump, is it because the NFL caught up to him and that velocity stuff is a problem, or is it it's a, is it something else where he's not quite healthy? And I think this is going to be a discussion that sort of continues into year three, into year four uh, with him. But yeah, I I I I I'm a believer in the idea of velocity. It's just math. Um, the ball gets there faster. It helps you. Um, it helps your receivers. You know, if, if, if that's – if you're telling me that's not an advantage or a disadvantage, uh, you know, that's fine. You can argue with it, but it's it's still math, and they're NFL DBs who can go really, really fast. Well, you also do have to wonder with the fact that, you know, here was Deshaun Watson who didn't start week one, and probably by week three or four with all the casualties that went on Houston, you know, here was the similar thing with Lamar Jackson at Louisville. All of a sudden, Deshaun Watson looked around and said, well, damn, if, if I don't win this game, nobody else is going to do it. So, you know, which is a lot to put on any rookie's shoulders. 
But uh, Pete, it's always been a pleasure. It's always a pleasure. Uh, I mean, the amount of times we're going to bust chops here between uh, now and April. Um, guys, uh, check out all the work over at NFL Spin Zone. Uh, Pete puts in a lot of time. Uh, the pieces, and don't complain about slideshows, guys. It's not Pete's fault. It's not Pete's site. He's got to do what he's got to do. Uh, but check everything out there. Pete's, uh, every, the pieces are not short. They're long in detail. There's a lot to read with him with each one. Uh, I always appreciate him for making some time here for the show. Uh, most frequent guests we've had to this point. You know, some people tell me I'm crazy for that, but hey, it is what it is. Uh, Locked on Browns, episode 163. Guys, make sure you're following Pete uh, at underscore Pete Smith underscore. Follow the show at Locked on Browns. Follow myself personally at Jeff underscore LJ underscore Lloyd. Uh, Matt Waldman in tomorrow night. Got some other great guests this week. Uh, look, guys, uh, just because it's February, the shortest month here, look, I, I'm looking to put together yet, I mean, since the string of November, I want this to be the, yet another, the biggest month of this show in existence. So, look, I'm doing everything I can to get you guys great guests, quality guests. Appreciate all the support. Everybody have a great, great night. Let's go Browns.